Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. And then um, it's a little bit longer than I wanted to do last week when we had church conference. Um, But if you're there in Psalm 98, if you look at the superscript, a lot of times we'll uh, I always draw your attention to that. This this one's a short one. What does it say? It's a psalm. (laughs) So uh, literally the shortest superscript, of course, uh, with the exception of those that don't have one at all. Uh, it just says that Psalm 98 is a psalm. In Hebrew, mizmor, it just means it's a melody. And that's a good reminder for us that as we study this book in the Bible, it, it is unique, the book of Psalms, um, unique from the other 65 books. This is God's divine hymnal. Uh, we have the lyrics. Uh, I know some people have put some of the songs to music. Um, and that brief superscript is also, it's the perfect description of the uh, main message of Psalm 98, just like Psalm 95, 96, and 97, uh, the focus here in Psalm 98 is praising God. And in this one, we have a pattern for praise. Do you know that, did you know that God gives us instructions for how he wants us to worship him? Uh, In his word, he's actually pretty specific about it. No no doubt there is some leeway, there's some freedom. Uh, I am afraid mostly out of ignorance, or maybe we should call it biblical illiteracy, um, sometimes too much freedom is taken in how people worship God. And, and um, since the, the very reason for our existence, I mean, the, the reason God created you, the reason he recreated you when you got saved, when you were born again, the reason um, he gave you life, and you, you woke up this morning, and he's currently sustaining your life, um, is to praise him then we ought to be praising him, and we had better praise him in the way that he desires for us too. Uh, that way we can be sure that we will never be like the northern kingdom of Israel when um, they thought it best to develop their own places of worship and uh, their own patterns of worship. Uh, may we never be like those Old Testament priests, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, who offered strange fire to the Lord, and they suffered the consequences of such a practice. Since God has given us a pattern for praise, well, let's understand that pattern, and then let's undertake our worship accordingly. Let's read Psalm 98. It says, Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all the earth. Make a loud noise and rejoice and sing praise. Sing unto the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the voice of a psalm, with trumpets and sound of cornet. Make a joyful noise before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods or the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he cometh to judge the earth with righteousness. Shall he judge the world 
and the people with equity. Let's pray. Lord, we come into this psalm you've given us here in Psalm 98, and you make some very clear statements about um, why we're here. We're here to praise you, and, and then how we are to praise you. And so I pray that this evening as we study this, we would always make sure that uh, our worship of you, not, not just here together in church, but every single day, uh, our worship of you would be in alignment with your word and your will, uh, how you want to be praised. And God, I pray that uh, we, would, we would do what the end of this psalm says, that we would join with nature that's praising you, and that um, we would never be the creature that's silent. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in the first three verses here of Psalm 98, uh, this pattern for praise, it has to do with the content of our worship. We're to worship God with content. And verse 1 starts this melody, just like the first verse of Psalm 96 did. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Now it's been probably been almost two months since we looked at Psalm 96 and considered what God meant in that phrase. Same exact phrase begins Psalm 96. Sing unto the Lord a new, new song. So we should take time to note this evening that God does desire for us to sing new songs. And it's not just here in the book of Psalms. Uh, God in Psalm 33, 3, 43, 144, 8, uh, in Isaiah 42, 10, two places in Revelation, Revelation 5, 9, and Revelation 14, 3, God tells us that it pleases him when we sing, when we offer new praises to him. And I mentioned this when we were going through Psalm 96, and it's verse that has the same message. Um, Charles Haddon Spurgeon said that since God's mercies are new every morning, and they are, right? That's what Lamentations 3 tells us. Well, since his mercies are new every morning, then he deserves new songs as well. Uh, now, that doesn't mean he doesn't like old ones, and too many churches today have taken that track. Uh, our hymns are classics. Uh, probably because, yeah, they have a beautiful sound, for sure. But I believe more than anything because of their rich theological content. And that's unfortunately, that's something that's sometimes absent in new songs. Uh, if we were to weigh the content of the old hymns against some of the more modern songs, we would find them terribly out of balance. Uh, and I'd propose that there's probably a reason for that. I, I don't know that we know God uh, anymore like the old hymn writers did. Uh, now, that's not a universal or, or blanket statement, but uh, it's one that seems to make sense to me. Th those who are writing the songs and those who are singing the songs, they, they can only express what they understand, and it may be the reason that there is this imbalance in content. It's because of an ignorance of who God is. Um, well, let me, let me tell you, and I'm sure you know what we're about here at, at DFBC. I'm very thankful to have Pastor Tommy as our, our worship pastor um, because we have the same, I guess you could call it a philosophy of worship, and it's derived from God's Word. It's definitely content over style. That, that's the most important thing. Content over genre. Um, we have differences maybe in our favorite type of music, um, but it's always content over what might be popular. Uh, I was blessed before I came here to have a, an interim pastor who was a very wise man. You remember Dr. White? And I was very blessed because I got to sit on that front row with him every week. And, and I listened to that man repeatedly about the year a little year and a half he was here, 
repeatedly say, I don't know how y'all do it. I don't, you, your worship here, your music here, your instrumentalist, you, you, I mean, God has really gifted you, and, and what you're doing here, don't stop. He, he said uh, so many times when new songs are being brought in, it's not very long, and then all of a sudden, that's all it is. Uh, there's, there's never any hymns, or, or there's two separate services, an old-fashioned service and a, and a modern service. He, he said, don't let that happen. Keep doing what you're doing. And I'll take advice. He's a wise fellow, isn't he? I'm going to hold on to that piece of advice uh, from someone much, much more learned and with more experience than, than I have. Um, and I praise the Lord for what he has done and what he's doing here in our worship. In the remaining portion of verse 1 and then in verses 2 and 3, we're told what the content of our musical praises should be. The marvelous things that God has done, and we ought to be singing about how God's right hand and his holy arm has gotten him the victory. Who's at God's right hand right now? Jesus, right? And um, who was God victorious for us in? Jesus, Jesus Christ. Uh, then there's additional content for our songs to the Lord in verses 2 and 3. The Lord has made known his salvation. He's openly showed his righteousness in the sight of the heathen. So we're to sing gospel songs uh, and songs about the gospel being declared and, and motivating us or propelling us to go out and declare the gospel. Uh, our God deserves you and I singing of his mercy and his truth that he pours out on his people, as verse 3 says. And that all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God in Jesus Christ. So that, and all that's been described in these first three verses, that is what God desires to be the content of our worship. Now, before we move on to verses 4 and 6, and because I, I believe, uh, at least here at Dublin First Baptist right now, we're, we're generally meeting this requirement as far as content goes, let me just touch on one other application of making sure that we're praising God correctly in regard to content. Let's do all that we can uh, to make sure that every single time that we do offer praise together uh, to God, uh, lyrics are not just rolling off our tongue without genuine intention or meaning on our behalf. Uh, you understand what I mean? Uh, I, I have a trouble with this, especially with those old hymns that I've been singing for, you know, well over four decades now. Um, it's a struggle for me sometimes. So, so I find that sometimes I need to read the lyrics and just close my eyes as I sing. So I'm not distracted um, as I sing those lyrics. Or, um, concentrate on what I'm saying. Maybe every so often we should pause, and I do this sometimes. I pause my own voice. That's probably a blessing to everyone around me. Uh, I pause my own voice so I can really concentrate on what's being said. If it's a hymn that's in our hymnal, Tommy often puts a hymn number on there. Maybe it'd be beneficial for you to open it up and read it on paper uh, every so often. All, all so that we're, we're never guilty of unintentionally praising God without content, at least on our part. And I guess I mean, um, we need to ask ourselves, how many times have I sung words? And yeah, they're true in general, but they might not be true of what I believe or how I'm living right now in particular. Uh, you know, kind of just a going through the motions thing. Um, and, and that's really not a whole lot different than if you and I were, were just reading some written out prayer that we don't really mean. Does that make sense? So content. And then this pattern for praise directs us musically. In verses 4 to 6, we're to praise God with concert. Now, some of you might not be aware, um, but there's some Christian denominations who think it's wrong to use any kind of musical instrument in worship. I know it's kind of strange. Um, primitive Baptists 
and they got some of them down here, more than we have up, up north. Uh, I know when Chris and I went up, kind of around Wayne County, there was quite a few old primitive Baptist churches, and there were some of them mountains. They, they say, well, they're not in the New Testament. You never see in the New Testament church, you never hear about musical instruments being in worship. And that's true. But um, you do read about them in the Psalms, don't you? You do. And in Revelation, and there's other places in God's Word uh, where we see that. And I don't know that that's the best gauge for what we should be doing. Uh, I don't find any Sunday school described in the New Testament or youth ministries or children's ministries, but probably all good things that our church should be involved in. God created music. It's the expression of our emotion. God wants his people um, who, who have grounded their, their joy in their relationship with him. He wants them to do what it says here, make a joyful noise to the Lord. Verse 4. And God gives us a pattern for uh, what he desires in our praise here, and it's his desire that when we worship him, we make a loud noise, it says there. Rejoice. We're, we're to sing praise. You know, God receives no glory when we sing this way. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. Or there is sunlight in my soul today and so glorious and bright. There's no praise there. And not just our voice, but God desires that our praise to him be in concert. Voices with musical accompaniment. So in verse 5, sing the Lord with a harp, with a harp and the voice of a song. Uh, with trumpets, we don't have harps here. We've got kind of a, a harp that has keys attached to it. Judy was playing um, there. And um, we have trumpets sometimes when David's here, the sound of a corner. We have all different musical instruments. A joyful, loud noise before the Lord our King. In modern translations of verses 4 through 6, they, they put the King James loud concept this way. Or to shout joyfully. Or to break forth in song. Erupt in song. And then Psalm 98 ends uh, with a third invitation for you and I regard, regarding how uh, our God deserves our praise, how he desires our praise of him. And it's with creation. Let me just reread verses 7 through 9. It says, let the sea roar and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. And let the floods, rivers clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together. And here's the reason why. Because the Lord, he's coming to judge the earth with righteousness. Shall he judge the world and the people with equity? All right. And so um, when I meditate on what God desires here in these verses, I think... There you go. Sorry about that. I thought I was plenty loud anyway. Um, I, I think of Jesus on Palm Sunday. You remember that? And um, there are people singing praises to him as he enters Jerusalem on that colt. And those children who proclaim Jesus to be uh, their Messiah in song. And then I think of those religious leaders who confronted Jesus and they asked him, uh, hey, aren't you going to tell them to hush? Aren't you going to stop them from proclaiming you as a Messiah? And what did Jesus tell them? Yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. If they, if they didn't sing, the rocks and stones would cry out in praise. Well, that's what we see here in verse 7 and 8. That the seas and everything in them are invited to join in the worship of God. In verse 8, uh, the, the floods, the rivers, the hills. All creation, all creation joining in praise with you and I, with those that God has redeemed in Jesus Christ. Praising God in joy. And then verse 9, all creation joyfully praising God 
uh, in his presence because he's coming to judge the earth with righteousness to judge the world and, and the people with equity. So, um, you know the reality? The reality is, even in this fallen, <laughs> broken by sin, uh, entropic world, all creation is singing his praise right now. It, it might not be a sound that we can always hear. And it might not be a tune we are familiar with, uh, but it is. And the question before us is the same question that Jesus asked on that Palm Sunday. He asked those religious leaders. Since that's true, are you going to be the silent one? Are you going to be the one? All creation's singing. All creation's praising him. But are you going to be the creature that says, no, no. I can't do that. So um, Tommy... Tommy's got a video here I asked him to show you. It's about seven, seven, eight minutes long. And um, it's similar to one I've shown you before, same speaker. Uh, one I've showed the teens uh, a couple years ago. And then um, as it closes out, uh, we're going we're gonna to see that all creation is praising the Lord. As it closes out, I'll have the praise team come up and then lead us so that we can join with creation. All right, Tommy, can you play that video?